Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome to another week of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode when we chatted with Mark Brooks of Brainiac Kids about the best brain foods for kids. If you missed it, definitely go back and listen because it will give you everything you need to know about fueling your kids this year. So in recent years, there's been a lot of buzz about sensory issues and sensory processing disorder, which research shows affects between 5 and 15% of kids. These kids often have trouble with things like clothing that feels scratchy or sounds that are too loud. But these issues can also show up at mealtimes, and it might be something that you experience at home. Maybe your kids will only eat white foods or refuse to eat foods with a certain texture or smell, or they gag when they try new foods. Although it can look a lot like regular old picky eating, sensory issues are much more complex and maybe even more frustrating for you as a parent. But the good news is that there is a ton you can do about it. I think what we know is when these things are identified, children thrive. We can create an environment that is supportive, that is individualized to their learning style, to how their body functions best. And we really see them thrive in these environments. That's Laura Datto, a pediatric occupational therapist with a specialty certification in feeding, eating, and swallowing. And she's the author of Raising Adventurous Eaters, Practical Ways to Overcome Picky Eating and Food Sensory Sensitivities. Laura and I talk about why sensory issues seem to be on the rise, how to tease out what's really going on with your kid, and how to go about finding the right help. She also explains easy ways to help your child overcome sensory issues, how you can model intuitive eating, and encourage healthy eating habits that will last a lifetime. Whether your child has sensory processing disorder, sensory sensitivities around food, or is simply a picky eater, this episode will help you get to the bottom of what's going on and give you the tools you need to help your child. There's so much information in this episode, and I know you'll love this interview with Laura Datto. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, let's talk about your story. How did you become an OT and a feeding therapist, and how do you work with your clients today? Yeah. So I always knew that I wanted to work in healthcare. I knew that I wanted to be in a position where I was going to have really close relationships and long lasting relationships with my patients. And I had a hard time deciding how I was going to do that. I initially thought that I was going to be a nurse and I started school with that in mind. And the more classes I took, the more I was feeling like I'm not going to be able to do exactly what I want to do in this sort of position. And I took a class on autism and was working in a school with children with autism and loved every single second of it. And I was actually talking to my grandmother about this and said, you know, I just, I love this position so much. I'm sort of rethinking my major. And she said, oh, I know this nurse that only works with kids with autism. You should talk to her. And I was like, I don't think that's a position, but I'll talk to her. Um, And she was an OT. And that was how I heard about OT for the first time, immediately fell in love with the profession, did a deep dive, and within a few months had like picked out an OT school, had interviewed, had applied, um, and was, was ready to start. And then as I started as an OT, I 
was initially working more as a generalist. And what I found was that every single one of my patients, no matter what they came to me for, seemed to have this underlying difficulty with eating. And the thing about eating is that it is so impactful on your day-to-day life, right? You, If eating is something that's difficult, you can't just skip it. So I developed more interest in that um, and started seeing patients for that as well and just really developed a passion for it. And then the more passionate I got about it, I took classes. I think in the span of a year, I probably took 50 hours of courses, maybe more on eating. Um, Just thought it was so interesting, so helpful for my patients. I was able to see some really big impacts and decided to pursue a specialty certification, which got me to where I am today. I have that now. And I work in a children's hospital, treating patients with all sorts of feeding difficulties working on some multidisciplinary teams. And of course, I just published my my book on picky eating. Yeah, that's so exciting. So most kids are picky eaters, right? But how do we know whether our kid is a regular picky eater, if you will, mm-hmm. or their behavior is kind of above the norm? Yeah, that's a great question. The way that I think about it is if their eating habits are really negatively impacting your or their life, If they're skipping out on entire food groups, if they can't go to a birthday party or a friend's house, or you're scared to leave them with grandma and grandpa because you're worried they're not going to have something they're willing to eat. If you're constantly feeling like I need to, we can't go to this restaurant because they're not going to have anything to eat. I have to make them another meal or I can't make this meal for the family because they're not going to eat any of it. If those problems are continually coming up and and they've been around for for a couple months, that's when I start to get worried and say, maybe there's something we can do to help. Okay. Yeah. And we hear so much in recent years about sensory issues and sensory processing disorder. I know my, my own child has some of these issues and, you know, what are these and is there a difference between sensory issues and then straight up sensory processing disorder? Yeah. So sensory processing, when we look at that, just for some of our listeners, if they're not as familiar, really what that is, is how is our brain interpreting the sensory information that it gets from its environment and how effectively is it processing that? And so we're looking at the normal senses that you would think about, sight, smell, taste, feeling, hearing. And then we also have some other senses. We have our proprioception, which is our body awareness and motor planning. We have our vestibular sense, which is our sense of balance. We get the information from that from our inner ear. And then we have interoception, which is telling us about our internal cues. Are we hungry? Are we full? Are we thirsty? Do we need to go to the bathroom? Is our heart racing? All of those feelings. And everybody's body interprets those sensations in different ways and has different sort of optimal zones where we do our best learning, right? So, for example, Some people do their best studying and learning with music in their headphones because their body likes a lot of that auditory input. Some people need to go to the library and have it dead silent. Um, And that's just a different way that our bodies can interpret that sensory information. That can also change depending on how regulated and organized our body is. I know I have had experiences where I'm driving home in the afternoon, my body is alert. 
I am awake and ready to go. And the radio is really up in my car. And I turn my car off and I get in the car in the morning the next day and it's 6 a.m. And I am tired and not as well regulated as I was maybe in the afternoon. And that music turns on and is blaring. And that would be really dysregulating and and uncomfortable for my body. So knowing that those preferences can change. Now to pull that towards eating and just sensory processing in general, sometimes people's bodies are sort of in that normal range. Sometimes we like music, sometimes we don't. But if where we get into the realm of sensory processing, sensory processing disorder is, is the way that our bodies are interpreting that sensory information, is that inhibiting our life? Is our auditory system so sensitive that we hear the refrigerator kicking on and the air conditioner kicking on and that noise is so distracting that we can't hear the person talking in front of us and we can't follow the conversation? And that sort of sensitivity can play out with eating as well. For example, we all have different preferences for our foods, right? I think everybody would say that there is some food that is not their favorite. And some of us even have patterns to those. For example, like I don't like really mushy foods like jello or mashed potatoes or, um, you know, I really enjoy like crunchy foods like pretzels, popcorn. That's my go-to for snack. Having those preferences is totally normal. Where we get into maybe a sensory processing disorder is if we cannot stand to be around textures that are different than our preference. If that makes us gag, throw up, run out of the room because we are so uncomfortable, have a meltdown because that is just so overwhelming to our bodies. That's when we really get into that sensory processing disorder realm. And so are more kids being diagnosed with this or is it just our ability to better identify it? I think it's really our ability to better identify it. I think this is really coming to the forefront of a lot of discussion and research. And this is something that people are starting to really see the benefits of. I think that this is something that occupational therapy and occupational therapists have identified and treated for a long time. And now it's starting to make its way into more mainstream venues I know I see things like weighted blankets at Target, just in the normal sections, not in like a special needs sort of store. We see um, teachers are incorporating different types of chairs into their classrooms. Kids are sitting on yoga balls or on an, an air pad or a beanbag chair, all sorts of th- different things to help children get into those ideal zones for learning. And I think as families and medical professionals and other people that work with children are seeing the benefits to these things, they're seeing how children are functioning better, learning better, thriving. It's just getting more and more awareness, more and more popularity. And with that, more and more recognition and People are able to seek out those diagnoses that are helpful for their children. And so for parents who have kids with sensory issues that play out at mealtime, mm-hmm. what does their life look like on a daily basis? That's a great question. I think it really depends on the child, their sensory systems and their preferences. But just for some, some examples, thinking about each of our, our senses, um, for taste, it may be that their child is only willing to 
eat certain tastes of foods. For example, I see a lot of my patients will only eat um, carbs, carbs like breads, um, maybe some like breaded chicken nuggets, French fries, have that sort of grainy taste. And um, for smell, it may be that when mom or dad is cooking in the kitchen, they come into the room and they smell whatever food it is and gag or say, oh, that's gross and run out of the room. Even if it's a food that they like, that smell can be really over overpowering for them. Um, visually, they may prefer, I have a lot of patients that prefer white or brown foods. I think that's pretty, that's a pretty common one. And again, falls into those like French fries, yogurt, bread, whites and browns, pastas tend to be really comforting. Auditory, it may be that the sound of everybody chewing is really overwhelming and their child does great sitting on their own, eating by themselves, but to eat as a family or to go to a restaurant causes meltdowns or they don't eat because they're just so focused on everything going on around them. And then when we look at some of those more, I think, more intangible senses are proprioception, vestibular, and interoception. Proprioception, maybe they are slumping in their chair really bad and suddenly their chin is on the table because they're leaning down so far, they're slipping out of the chair sort of similar with vestibular as well. And with interoception, it may be the child that never says, I'm hungry, or never says, I'm full. And you as a parent have to regulate, like, wow, it's been four hours since you've eaten. We need to have a snack. Uh, because child isn't identifying that and asking for that on their own. So it, it can look a lot of different ways, depending on what's going on with their sensory processing system, their age, how they communicate. Uh, but looking for those patterns and saying, you know, we always run into issues with whatever sense. And my book does have some worksheets that help parents work through some of those patterns to see if they're identifying any of those for themselves and their family. And so what can happen if these aren't identified? Yeah. So I think what we know is when these things are identified, children thrive. We can create an environment that is supportive that is individualized to their learning style, to how their body functions best. And we really see them thrive in these environments. And when those needs aren't met, it can be really difficult for them. They may form a more negative relationship with food that may turn into a fight between parent and child. Um, Because like we talked about, that's not something you can avoid, right? And if it's difficult every single time, it can turn into a source of tension, frustration versus a time for connection and family. These children may have difficulty with maintaining their weight or participating in the interactive parts of mealtime, being able to go to family's houses, friends' houses, share a meal, share that cultural experience of eating together as a family. All of that can be very difficult and very stressful. So what's the first step? Should parents talk to their pediatricians first? Should they seek out an OT? I think if you are identifying these these sorts of problems going on in your family, you've probably done a very wonderful first step in listening to this podcast and seeking out some additional information. And then the next step absolutely is to talk to your pediatrician about what you're seeing, what your concerns are, how these are affecting your your life, your child's life, and to 
connect with them about what resources are available in your community. COVID was obviously a really horrible thing, but one of the benefits out of it is that telehealth has really become an option, especially for families that live in really rural areas that may not have had access to a therapist before. And so if you're thinking that occupational therapy may be helpful for your family, your pediatrician can help connect you with local resources, get you connected with an in-person occupational therapist. And then if if that's not possible for whatever reason, or your area doesn't have a specialist in, say, eating and swallowing, because there aren't as many of us out there, um, that's something that's available through telehealth as well. So everybody can, can get those services that they need. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about some of the strategies that you recommend for helping parents through this. If mealtimes are stressful and you just can't get your kids to eat what you make, then you've got to get them in the kitchen. Cooking with my kids has really gone a long way in encouraging them to try new foods and eat their veggies. But most of us aren't chefs, and that's why I love the Kids Cook Real Food e-course. This course was created by a mom of four and a former elementary school teacher, and it's for kids ages two to teen. You'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping list, and kid-friendly recipes. The course also has a ton of substitutions, so if your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, they've got you covered. My daughters and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. All you have to do to sign up is go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. Most of the time, I don't even know why I cook meals because all my kids want are snacks. But finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that are also affordable isn't always easy. And that's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids are all about the Lara bars and the Go Raw cinnamon snacking seeds. Thrive Market also has essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products like Truce, which is one of my favorite cleaners. And they also have clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. So why don't we talk about some of the, you know, once parents figure out what's going on, then what can they do? Great question. So the biggest thing that you're going to want to do is set some really consistent routines and expectations for you and your family. And we want these to be routines and expectations that are meetable for everybody involved. We don't want to set ultimatums or things that your child is not going to be able to do or that are going to set you guys up for failure. 
For example, I hear a lot of pediatricians say, well, if they're hungry, eventually they'll eat, right? And the problem that we run into is that, A, that is not true for all children. Um, I wish it was, but it's not true for all children. And I think that advice really sets families up for a lot of frustration and fear. Because as parents, you want to feel that your child is getting everything that they need, that they're getting their nutrition met. And it can be really scary and stressful for you and for them to set this ultimatum of, well, you're going to eat this or you're not going to eat. And what ends up happening is eventually, a lot of times, um, parents will give in and make something because they need their child to eat, right? They haven't eaten in 12 hours. They're cranky. They're hangry. Um, Parents are now stressed and scared and worried that their child's not getting what they need to grow, not getting their nutritional needs met. It's maybe causing some other behavioral issues as they get hangry. But then now what has happened is we have introduced stress and negative pressure into this relationship around food. This was probably already stressful for your child if they were worried about being able to eat whatever was served. Now they're extra nervous about that, which is not going to put them in a good learning situation. And they've learned, well, if I hold out long enough, eventually I'll get what I want, which is also not the message that we're looking to spread when pediatricians make that recommendation. So setting expectations that are fair and manageable for you and your child. I never recommend being a short order cook. Um, A, no one has enough time in the day for that. Um, and B, mealtimes, it is really important for children to be able to share and participate in the, the family experience. And so maybe what a good compromise around this could look like would be that, say you are serving a roast, which is your child's least favorite food. They hate it. They don't want to participate in it. Uh, and their favorite food is macaroni and cheese. or bread or something like that, is you could still serve your roast, put a little bit on your child's plate, the same as you would for anybody else. And then you have a side that you know is something they can eat. So a side of bread, mac and cheese, whatever that is, that again, the entire family can participate in so that everyone is eating the same meal still. You know that your child is not going hungry, but they are getting those learning opportunities and that exposure around that non-preferred food, that roast, and still participating in that family mealtime. And then that's a routine that you know you can maintain with some consistency. So you know your child is still going to be eating, still getting some food, and you're not being a short order cook. It's important to know that it takes kids like 15 to 20 times of trying a food before they can really feel comfortable with it. And I think a lot of people offer foods once, twice, three times. Their kid says, no, no, no. And they say, oh, they just don't like this food. I'm going to start stop offering it. And kids really need those learning opportunities. You know, we didn't learn how to read the first, second, third time we tried. We didn't learn math that way. We don't learn to eat that way either. And so setting up that consistency and those routines that allow for consistent learning, consistent ex- exposures, And consistent positivity for you and your child can really decrease the stress of that mealtime interaction, create some positive connotations, and then put your child in a really good spot for learning. So if they have a sensory issue, though, will they eventually come around? 
So there are lots of different things that you can do depending on what is going on for them from a sensory perspective. The things that you would do depending on their their specific sensory processing is really so individualized to the child. Just for example, if your child is really sensitive to smells and that is limiting their ability to come to the table to participate in family mealtime because you've got four or five foods on the table and it's just overwhelming for their nose. Um, So they could put a scent on a sweatband and keep that on their wrist. So when they are feeling really overwhelmed with all of the smells that are coming from the dinner table, they could redirect that one familiar regulating smell to help them stay present at the table and stay participating in the mealtime. Over time, with positive interactions, being able to stay at the mealtime, have their nose exposed to all those foods, their olfactory system will get less sensitive, less prone to being overwhelmed, and eventually they won't need that compensatory strategy of the sweatpan to be able to stay at the table. And what about kids who have texture issues? I know I've got one kid who will only eat cauliflower whole and the other kid who will only eat it pureed. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, and so just so common. And the, the thing that I really like to do with that is called food chaining. And so what that looks like is you start with a familiar food, a preferred food, for example, whole cauliflower. Um, maybe your child like really prefers it raw. I'm just going to throw that out as an example. And you want to be able to put it into casseroles, put it on puree it and put it into a mac and cheese, something like that. And so with food chaining, what you do is you start with the food, the preferred food presented in the preferred way, and you make some really small changes to it over time. So for example, maybe the first day you would steam it for like two minutes and then pull it out. So it's mostly just warm, maybe a little bit moist, but still crunchy, still firm, still has all of those sensory aspects to it that your child prefers. Then the next day, maybe you steam it three or four minutes, working your way up to eventually a couple weeks later, a couple months later, depending on how often you do this. Now they're enjoying steamed cauliflower. Then you go from there to chopping it up and you go from chopping it to mashing it and then from mashing it eventually to pureeing it. So making those little, little changes over time. And that's something you can do to not even just within the same food, but to get from one food to another. So for example, if your child won't eat any fruits, but they'll eat a peanut butter and jelly, maybe we start with peanut butter and jelly, and then we have the jelly on its own, and then we have jam, which has a little more texture, but similar flavors. And then we go from jam to pureed fruit. So similar, but Now we're working our way towards real fruit and then pureed fruit to small chunks of fruit, diced fruit. Maybe even you put a little bit of sugar on it to maintain that jelly sort of flavor, working your way eventually to say it was a strawberry jam to full strawberries. And then you can go from strawberries to other berries. And now you've expanded your child out into a bunch of different foods. Great. So it's like a really gradual approach that you take. And so you talk about intuitive eating as well and, and how that plays into this whole way to, to, to help our kids with sensory issues. Why is that important for kids to learn now and as they get older? 
Yeah. So intuitive eating is really that idea of being able to listen to your body as you're eating, to listen to what feels good, to stop when you're full, to eat when you're hungry. And the really beautiful thing about intuitive eating is that most babies are born intuitive eaters. They cry when they're hungry. They disengage from the bottle or breast when they're full. They have that innate connection to to their own internal systems and to what feels good to their bodies. And I think those signals can get mixed and lost as we get older. There's so much pressure around body image and weight loss and muscle gain and all of these things that eating can become separated from really those internal cues and and what feels good. And it can lead to a lot of distress or discomfort around eating. Studies show that kids and girls especially start thinking about losing weight at like four years old, which is just heartbreaking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think any of us want our four-year-olds thinking about that. But the truth is, is that those, that messaging is there. It's there in media, it's there in TV, it's there in the news everywhere. And so the more that we can foster this confidence in children to be able to listen to their body, to stop eating when they're full, when their body's satiated, to eat when they're hungry, to seek out the nutrients that their body needs, to eat a wide variety of foods, we're setting them up for a lifetime of body positivity, of confidence in themselves, and of knowing that they have that strong connection to their body that they can listen to and rely on that isn't going to lead them astray. Yeah. And I think that like we were talking about before, there's a, there's a lot of negativity around mealtime for parents of kids with sensory issues. I, I see it all the time on boards where parents are so frustrated because they can't get their kids to eat anything. And so how can we kind of shift that focus and then encourage them to have healthy eating habits? Yeah, this is, so stressful. And if this is something that you're going through with your family, I want you to know that 25 to 45% of kids have difficulty with eating. I think that the first thing to know is that eating is difficult and it requires all of our sensory systems, all of our internal organ systems. It's just so complicated. And I think Difficulties with eating can be really isolating for parents and families, which I think contributes to the frustration. And and I don't know entirely where that comes from, but I think a lot of families feel hesitant to to reach out and talk for help to share these problems because, you know, maybe they they feel like eating is something that's supposed to be easy or feeding their child is something that's supposed to be easy. But just know that A, you're not alone with that at all. B, this is very, very difficult. And see, it can take a while to, to work on this um, and to resolve these problems. You know, I think a lot of difficulties with eating didn't pop up overnight. And so they don't disappear overnight either. And that's where that consistency comes in. Encouraging parents to know that they are not alone in working through this, that there is support out there. If this is becoming frustrating, difficult, stressful, that is the opposite of what we what we want it to be, and there are resources out there that that you can seek. Whether that is talking to your pediatrician, seeing a feeding therapist, reading some books, listening to some podcasts, there are things out there that can help. 
and that ultimately this is really worth it because the goal is a happy, healthy child and a happy, healthy family, which just really can't be, can't be overstated. It was so great to talk to you today. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Absolutely. So I have a, an Instagram page and a Facebook page. Both of those are named after my book, Raising Adventurous Eaters. Um, and then you can also find my book. It's available online and it comes out. It's on Amazon, Target, Walmart, New Harbinger's website. That's my publisher, um, Barnes & Noble. And then we'll eventually be in stores um, starting December 1st, 2022. Awesome. Well, Laura, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. That was such a great interview with Laura. And it's so fascinating when you think about all the different sensory systems we have and that are involved in eating. Be sure to pick up a copy of her book, Raising Adventurous Eaters, which I've linked to in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.